all those things are still out there. It starts really this week. This is, a, this is a key week for us coming off a bye, playing against a hot Jacksonville team who's also going to be in the thick of both their division race and the uh, playoff race. So this is obviously a big week. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Week 10 edition of Chargers Weekly. That was Philip Rivers with the media this week discussing the tough challenge ahead this Sunday against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Later, we'll be joined by Ryan O'Halloran of the Florida Times Union to learn more about these upstart Jags. The host of NFL Fantasy Live, James Coe, will also stop in to help fill out your fantasy rosters for Week 10. But first, we check in with ESPN's Chargers reporter Eric Williams at the halfway point of the season. Eric, how are you, man? Did you find some time to enjoy the bye week? Yeah, I did. Had the opportunity to spend some time with family and uh, just kind of get away for a little bit, so it was nice. Yeah, man, recharge batteries. Um, I know you spoke to some, some Chargers players about their bye week. What were some of the guys doing? Yeah, you know, it was a little bit of everything. You know, some guys like Casey Hayward went back home. You know, Casey's from Atlanta, and he said he just kind of, you know, went back and, and didn't do anything, really just kind of got off his feet. Um, others like Brandon Mebane, and, you know, Brandon's from Los Angeles, had you know, a little bit of a staycation, you know, spent some time with family away from their home. Um, and, and, again, just kind of get away from everything and, and, and get off their feet, make sure they're, they rest, rehab injuries if they have any injuries. Um, I believe Melvin Gordon went back to Wisconsin. Um, you know, so for, for some, it's an opportunity really to just, you know, see, see friends and family for that week. Yeah, it was good. Coach Lynn just gave those guys the complete week off to just yep. focus on everything but football. But now it's uh, yep. all eyes on the Jags. But before we get into Jacksonville, I want to look back to the first half of the season. Eric, tough start. Last four games, we saw some things kind of get put back in place. What were some of the key takeaways for you from those first eight games? Well, for me, I thought it was good that Coach Lynn went through some some tough times early uh, and, and showed some resiliency with you know kind of keeping together the team through those first four games. You know, they were in every game, but unable to get a win through those first four. And I think that paid dividends over those next four where you're able to, to, to work through some stuff and have some victories and then finish, you know, going into um, the bye. You know, on a positive note, obviously you want to get a, a, a win, but you're going to New England where not a lot of teams get victories facing the defending Super Bowl champs. You play, you know, solid. Obviously, could have played better, you know, if they could have corrected some of those mistakes during the game. But you're right in there, and you have a chance to to tie that game and perhaps push it into overtime if you get a touchdown. And so I think that showed well for that team that they're able to play against a team like the Patriots on the road and and still be close. Um, and now you have eight more to go, like you mentioned, second half of the season. I think a little easier schedule, and that, that should bode well for the Chargers. You know, Eric, you were in Foxborough. What were some of the lessons from that Patriots game that you think these guys took into the bye week? Because, like you said, I think that there was something to be said about playing the Patriots tough at their place and really, you know, being a touchdown away from from getting that win. Yeah, well, you have to remember, this is a pretty young team. A lot of these guys haven't played the Patriots before, you know. That's true. Unless they're playing Madden. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) To go in that stadium and kind of get a feel for what it's like and the intensity level, you know, anytime you play the Patriots, it's a big game. Um, I remember when I was covering the Seahawks, you know, back in 2012, that was Russell Wilson's rookie season, and, and, and they were able to beat the Patriots at home. And that was a big moment for that that team. You know, it was kind of the early uh, start of the Legion of Boom, and, and that team was really forging its identity. And to be able to beat the Patriots at home was a big moment for that team, and kind of it 
showed kind of what they could do. And again, although the Chargers didn't win this game, they still played them tough. And again, it kind of it kind of shows them, hey, we didn't really even play that well, and we were in this game. So I think they can get a lot of confidence from that, particularly defense side of the football. You know, to hold the um, the Patriots just one touchdown. Tom Brady, even though he's forty, still playing like he's twenty five the way he moves inside the pocket. Uh, to keep them the field goals and to keep the game close. Again, I think that bodes well for this defense and what they want to accomplish for the rest of the year. You know, Eric, they've also tightened up a little bit against the run over the past few weeks, and there's yep. a good chance we may see Denzel Perryman on Sunday. And if so, it's going to be a huge lift for this defense, especially when you look at the other side, you see Leonard Fournette. How much of an impact yeah. do you think Denzel's going to make on this defense? Well, hopefully huge. As you mentioned, I think they're giving up just over 90 yards a game in the last three games, so they've done a better job there. Leonard Fournette is a big, fast guy, you know, six foot, 240 pounds. I think he ran a four five one at the combine. He loves and contact, having a good rookie season. And yeah, he, he doesn't shy away. You know, I think some people have compared him to Earl Campbell. I think it's a little too soon to throw that out there. Yeah. To me, he kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Corey Dillon or, or perhaps LeGarrette Blunt with a little more speed. Um, but yeah, getting Denzel in there is going to be important just because of the way he plays. Not only as a, as a tackler and a, as, a, as a thumper in the run game, he's also a tone setter. He's a guy that's going to you know, make that big hit, and that kind of echoes throughout the rest of the defense, and guys feed off of that. Um, so when you get a guy in there, and they, they struggle a little bit on the second level of defense, I, I think Hayes Pollard has done a nice job of, of kind of solidifying things there and, and being able to get guys lined up. And, and guys like Adrian Phillips and Jaleel have been asked to play close to the line of scrimmage, and they've done a nice job. But certainly it kind of takes a little bit of load off of them in terms of the run game. You put Denzel in there. But you also have to be concerned that you don't give Denzel too much too, too soon and, and ask him to go out there and play 60 snaps. I don't think that's fair to him. You know, another big storyline Sunday, obviously, is Gus Bradley. And in our next segment, we're going to be joined by Ryan O'Halloran from the Florida Times Union to get his thoughts on oh, Gus's cool. homecoming, which is going to be yep. cool. Um, but Eric, no, you know Ryan Gus? Well. Yeah, and he does a great job in Jacksonville. But you know Gus from your time in Seattle. Um, and I know you had a chance to talk to him about Sunday's game. What did he have to say? Yeah, you know, I think he's torn a little bit. Obviously, he knows a lot of those guys pretty well. And, and he was hoping that he would be there when they turned things around. You know, that didn't happen. He was let go a couple games, you know, before the season was over last year. And I think he still kind of keeps in touch with with a lot of the folks that are in Jacksonville. His family still lives in Jacksonville, so he's dealing with that as well. Uh, Todd Wash is the defense coordinator, and those guys are, I believe, buddies going back to North Dakota State. A coach together, played together in college, and Todd was in Seattle as well. And so I think he's happy for Todd that the defense is performing as well as they're performing. Um so, you know, it's going to be a little little odd for him. Um, I think he said all the right things when I talked to him, you know, about, you know, happy that the team is having a lot of success and, and, and are playing well. But also, you know, he's a competitor, so he certainly wants to win. Um, and, I, and I think it's going to help the fact that he knows that, that roster so well, both on the offense and the defense side of the football. Um, I think he should be able to give uh, the Chargers this week some nuggets that are going to help them on game day. I was going to ask you, what kind of advantage do you think that the Chargers have, if any, being that Gus knows that personnel pretty well? Because the Jaguars know Gus, too, but you know, knowing yep. the person on both sides of the football and being the head coach there for as long as he was, I have to imagine he can give Coach Lynn, like you said, some nuggets. 
Yeah, I think not only nuggets, but but tendencies, particularly the quarterback, Blake Bortles, yeah. and, and what he likes to do in certain situations, whether it's third down or in the red zone. And then also, too, the Chargers have played, I believe, Jacksonville four straight times. So they know the guys well, and, and they know what they like to do and what they, they don't like to do. So I think that helps, and, and I think Bradley could just kind of confirm some things that maybe the Chargers – know going into the and I think it really helps um, hone in your game plan for the week uh, not, not, not only having Gus there and what he knows but going back and being able to look at film the last couple of years and, and seeing what they've done well and maybe what they've struggled against can kind of hone in your game plan now what's going to be new obviously is, is, is Leonard at running back and then you know you have a new head coach in Doug Marone and he has a, a certain way of doing things and and maybe he's going to do some things differently. So that that's going to be a change-up. You know, this secondary, or that secondary Jacksonville, they're playing as well as anybody in the NFL. <laughs> and you look at guys like Mike Williams, we're starting to see his snaps increase week by week. Do you think we're going to see, yep. do you think we'll start to see him, rather, in, in a more featured role over the next few weeks? Yeah, I don't think so yet. Uh, although certainly having the bye week gives him another week or two to really get familiar with with the playbook. Um, I still think we're going to see maybe the last three, four games, him start to get more of an expanded role. Certainly he'll be out there for more snaps, I think. I think maybe 25 to 30 snaps. And maybe you start to to create some packages where you you feel like he can have some success. But I still think it comes down to reps. And he needs to get a lot more reps so he can get more comfortable in the offense in terms of, you know, route changes, you know, based on what the defense has given them. And then Phillip trusting that, you know, Mike is seeing the same thing that he's seeing from the defense and is going to make the right adjustments. Um, certainly, you know that he's a playmaker based on what he was able to do at Clemson. Um, but again, he didn't have a training camp. Um, he didn't have all those those snaps in the offseason that you would have liked him to have because of the back issue. And you also have guys in front of him that are playing pretty well when you, when you talk about Keenan Allen and Tyrell Williams, Travis Benjamin in terms of a vertical threat and his ability to create create plays with his speed. Um, I just think there's a lot of other guys that you have to get to that are already familiar in the offense, uh, and that's gonna, you know, put Mike, you know, behind in terms of, you know, playmakers, you know, on the on the on the depth. Eric, you look at the landscape of the AFC and the AFC West specifically, and man, it's it's still wide open. The Chargers got some breaks over the bye week when you talk about the Chiefs losing and the Broncos in kind of a tailspin right now. Obviously, the Raiders won yeah. on Sunday night, but uh, I have to imagine these guys know that they have a real shot, not only at the AFC West, but but really just a wild card spot in general. And you have some teams upcoming with the Jaguars and Bills that they're going to be competing with for a potential wild card spot. Yeah, definitely a lot to play for these these next eight games. You mentioned it. You know, the Chiefs are now six and three. I think the Raiders are four and five, and 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 Denver, you know, scuffling and really struggling at the quarterback position. So, you know, really the the destiny is in their, their hands right now. You know, they get to play the Chiefs one more time. Uh, the Chiefs obviously have some other tough games that are coming up. Um, so they really just have to focus on their opponents that they're going to be facing one week at a time. You know, Jacksonville and Buffalo are, are playoff teams as it stands right now, so they have a chance to knock those teams off and bring them back to them. Um, yeah, I think if they can get these next two games and get to 500. And you go into Dallas and Thanksgiving, and that'll be a big game for them. Again, kind of like the Patriots, you know, before the bye week. Uh, but they have to win these these first two games first, and really they got to take care of Jacksonville first. 
you know what's crazy, Eric, is they've already played four divisional games. And it's, you know, know. for the first eight or divisional games, you go two and two. And, and I guess you, yeah. you take two and two. And like you said, you have a chance to avenge loss, uh, a loss to the Chiefs and then uh, potentially sweep the Raiders in week 17. But how crazy is it that you have four division games already in the books and we're not even a week 10 yet? And you're already done playing the Broncos. It's, you know? it's a wrap, it's yeah. Weird. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's odd, although obviously with the way that the schedule is set up and, and for most NFL teams, you're still going to play a couple of those division opponents late in the year, and that's going to be important that you're able to get those games in terms of where you stand in the AFC West and really in the AFC Conference because that's going to affect whether or not you're a wild card team potentially. But it is strange to have four of those games already behind you and really the Denver Broncos behind you, um, but it also – puts more focus on those two AFC West games that you'll play later in the year. And also these, um, these conference games, you know, you're talking about playing, you know, Jacksonville and Buffalo, you play Cleveland still. Uh, Those are important games as well, because where you're at in the conference could decide whether or not you make the playoffs. Eric, you had a chance to get away from the Chargers and, and the beat for a week. What were some of your observations from around the league in week nine? It's a wild games. Uh, I think just the parody. Um, yeah, a bunch of wild games, obviously, uh, this weekend, you know, a lot of lopsided games. Uh, but still, when you look at, you know, the, the records, I think Philadelphia obviously stands out as that team that's really having a good season, just one loss on the year. Uh, the Patriots, you, you know, year in and year out, they're, they're up at the top, and certainly that's the case this year. And also, you know, the Steelers, year in and year out, they're up top, and, and you see them uh, in terms of leading the AFC North. Um, but I, I still think it's, it's, it's one of those years where there isn't that one team that's just head and shoulders above everybody else. I think everybody's beatable, um, you know, depending on how they're playing that week. And again, I think that lends itself to the Chargers working their way back into it um, because they're certainly capable of, of beating any of these teams they're going to face over the next eight weeks uh, if they play to their potential. Um, they just have to go out and, and, again, take them one week at a time and see if they can climb back into it. Eric, how do they get win number four on Sunday in Jacksonville? Well, I, I think it's it's kind of like, you know, every week. they got to be able to run the football. You know, Melvin Gordon, hopefully he's healthy and ready to go, uh, be able to control tempo. And then I think on the defensive side, you have to stop the run. You know, Leonard Fournette, um, they want to take some pressure off Bortles by, by running the football. If you're able to stop Fournette and, and force Bortles to make plays both on third down and in the red zone, I think you have a pretty good shot, particularly with the way that their pass defense has been. Uh, they've done a nice job in the back end, and obviously with Bosa and Ingram, they can create pressure with just with their front four. So, again, they got to stop, stop Fournette early, and if they're able to do that and get into obvious passing situations, um, I like their chances on the road to Jacksonville. He's Eric Williams. Follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore D underscore Williams. Eric, appreciate your time, buddy. I will see you down in Costa Mesa on Friday. Cool. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Hey, fans, be there live to support the L.A. Chargers this season. Always buy your Chargers tickets from our official ticketing partner, Ticketmaster and the NFL Ticket Exchange. Only Ticketmaster has verified tickets that are 100% guaranteed to get you in every time. Other sellers can only guarantee they'll give you a refund if they sell you a fraudulent ticket. So go with a trusted source and our official partner and know you're going to the game.
All right, to get this week's opposing view, we bring in Ryan O'Halloran from the Florida Times Union. Does a great job covering the Jaguars. And Ryan Jacksonville, now 5-3 and three after that resounding 23-7 win over the Bengals this past Sunday. I think people are starting to realize this defense is a real problem for opponents. Yeah, they are. And uh, thanks for having me and glad to talk to you. Uh, you This defense had a lot of first round picks, a lot of free agent additions. They were great on paper in the preseason. Well, that's turned out to be great on tape and great great in person for the first half of the year. They lead the league in sacks. They lead the league in pass defense and scoring defense. And um, what they really do is they just put teams into a vice grip. If they can stop the run on first and second down, they can do a lot of great things. If their offense can give them a lead, they can do a lot of great things. And that's been a pretty good formula. They've won each of their five games by at least 16 points. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. When you talk about beating the Ravens and the Steelers as resounding as they did and then beat another AFC North opponent, the Bengals, on Sunday, and they seem to get in the opponent's head, Ryan. What happened last Sunday between Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Green? We're still trying to figure that out. Um, but I think it was... It's interesting to see frustration boil over uh, in a player um, one half into a game. It's not like they'd faced each other before, college or pro, but A.J. Green was targeted twice in that game. Uh, One of the passes, he cleanly beat Jalen Ramsey, and Andy Dalton just overthrew him. He had a six-yard reception on third down that was short of the first down. All of a sudden, Ramsey gives him a little bit of a shove. Green goes down to one knee, and then mayhem ensued. Both players were ejected from the game. Jalen Ramsey likes to talk, but he knows how to back it up. And, you know, from his perspective, does he have to dial that down now? Because you got to think officials are going to be looking for him on Sunday and then moving forward as well. But um, I think teams come to, come to Jacksonville and they face the Jaguars knowing that if they fall behind by 10, 14 points, it's going to be a long afternoon. Oh, no doubt about that. Uh, Ryan, what's the weakness on this defense, if you can even point to one? Because you look at the back end, they're as stout as any secondary in the league. And then up front, starting with Calais Campbell, who has 11 sacks, you talked about it. This this defensive front can get to the quarterback. They can, and if there was a weakness in the first seven games before their bye, it was uh, run defense. They were uh, last in the league uh, after uh, week eight, after their seven games. Then they go get Marcel Darius. He is a big, big body to play nose tackle and the three technique. They held Cincinnati to 29 yards rushing um, on Sunday. That moved them up to 26 in the rankings. So, I mean, really at this point with this Jaguar defense, you really have to nitpick to find a weakness. But that's one one thing they addressed was was stopping the run. And then, of course, on the other side of the football, a big part of this team, although he was absent on Sunday, has been the rookie running back Leonard Fournette. First of all, what happened with him being a last-minute inactive Sunday? You, you saw some reports about not being able to make the team picture or something. What went down there? Well, that's that's probably the first straw. Uh, you know, there there was some other speculation about you, you know he had an ankle injury. Maybe he was uh, not uh, present at a, an appointment for for treatment, that kind of thing. But it's not just one straw when you talk about deactivating your best player on offense. So. I think it was Doug Marone sending him a message. Hey, you're uh, you're part of this team. You're not, you know, you're not going to be immune to discipline. And I could show the rest of the locker room that uh, this head coach means business. They got away with it. I'll say that. Um, and uh, you know, I expect Fournette to play uh, Sunday against the Chargers. Well, they certainly got away with it. But I have to imagine winning in that fashion without Fournette. How much confidence do you think it gives? this Jaguars team on both sides of the football that you can still go out there and beat an opponent the way they did on Sunday. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think 
they built that confidence because he didn't play against Indianapolis in week seven because of that ankle injury. So that was a, a legitimate scratch. And they won 27 nothing. You know, they have depth at running back, Chris Ivory, TJ Yeldon, but they're not Leonard Fournette. So I think it showed the offense, hey, you have to throw it a little bit more. You have to take some shots downfield. You have to uh, get some more uh, big plays because you're not going to be able to lean on Leonard Fournette. So they've won with them. They've won without them, but I think they prefer to win with them. Ryan, let's move on to this Sunday's game. The Chargers come to town, and a big storyline is Gus Bradley's return to Jacksonville. Uh, what are some of his former players saying about seeing him across the field on Sunday? Well, I think you know, you know, he was a great uh, mentor for a lot of these young players. You know, throughout his tenure here, the Jaguars they're one of the youngest teams in pro football, and now you got Telvin Smith, Jalen Ramsey, Miles Jack. Uh, Avery Jones, uh, players like that on defense who are getting their second contracts. And, you know, they have uh, Gus Bradley to thank. Uh, and, you know, Todd Wash is the current coordinator. So I think there's going to be a lot of good feelings from a lot of players in this locker room because they went through some lean years here. And now they're seeing the, some of the fruits of that labor. Uh, and now Gus is coming in as the uh, Chargers defensive coordinator. Yeah, I'm sure he wants to uh, show off his guys as well that he's uh, made a nice transition to L.A. What are some of your fond memories of covering Gus? I know you're down there for a while, and um, you know he just knowing him for just a short period of time here in Los Angeles, uh, the imprint that he's made, and and he's so well liked among the players. I have to imagine that you had some good feelings around Gus as well. I mean, he uh, I've been do, uh, doing the sports writing thing since I was uh, 17 years old, so let's just say that's a long time ago. Uh, he's on my top five of people that I've ever met and ever got to know. Um, he is. I'll never cover anybody else like that as a head coach that knew the role of the beat writer, you know, knew how to provide insight, knew how to point me in the right direction. So I think, you know, that was a good relationship. And I visited with him uh, a couple of days ago to, for a story that's going to run on game day. And, and it uh, was a great conversation. So I can see why the charger players uh, have, uh, you know, followed his lead with their defense because, you know, when things don't go well with a team, invariably you hear players start chirping that, uh, you know, the coach isn't uh, doing his job and they're not putting this position to win. You did not hear that one time about Gus Bradley. They just didn't have, have enough horses in the stable, and they did not win enough games last year specifically. So the Jaguars made their decision, uh, which um, happened with two games to go last year. Ryan, how would you evaluate the Chargers' defense at this point? Of course, Gus has two of the best pass rushers in football. It starts with Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, um, but they've been able to do some stuff on the back end as well when you talk about not having Jason Verrett, Trevor Williams comes in, and Casey Hayward. How would you assess what Gus has done with his Chargers' defense? Well, he's got two pass rushers that he didn't have here. Um you know, you know, he plays that Leo, he plays that big end. So he has Ingram at the Leo. He has Bosa, not the prototypical big end that he had in Seattle and Jacksonville, but just a relentless pass rusher. Uh, it looks like they've gotten a little bit better against the run uh, in recent weeks. But, um, you know, one thing that stood out watching their Patriot game is the injuries forced them to play dime, uh, you know, with the six defensive backs and one linebacker. That's something the Jaguars did not do the last couple of years. So you can tell he's had to adjust his personnel a little bit. But Hayes Pollard leading the team in tackles. He was with the Jaguars for a couple of years. He was cut in training camp. A lot of people disagreed with that move because he was a depth linebacker who could play special teams. Sandy, or excuse me, L.A. Uh, scooped him up, and, you know, he's one of their top tacklers. So that uh, – it looks like you know they are playing better after that rough start. They lost a couple heartbreakers, but I think it's going to be a challenge for this uh, Jaguar offensive line. 
And then you look at the Chargers offensive side of the ball, Ryan, obviously led by Phillip Rivers, but you got Melvin Gordon in the backfield. He's really been the centerpiece of this offense through the first half of the season. You got Hunter Henry, Keenan Allen, Travis Benjamin, a lot of weapons on the outside. How do you think this Chargers offense matches up with this Jaguars defense? Well, I think it's going to be a good matchup. Uh, you know, Melvin Gordon, you got to think the bye week will help him with that turf toe. Uh, so you figure he'll be back at full strength with the receivers. You know, I look at any receiver group in the league right now against these top three corners of Ramsey, Boye, and Colvin, and you got to like their chances. Phil Burr is going to be a monkey on the back of the Jaguars. He has, he has crippled them the last couple of years, and he's made it look easy. He's just played pitch and catch regardless of who's the coordinator, regardless of who's playing on defense for the Jaguars. So I think this is, this is, uh, this is a, you know, sort of a turning the corner game. You know, the Jaguars, they won at home finally this past week. They can finally beat the Chargers. I think that'll be another kind of breakthrough for them. Ryan, what can you point to with this Jaguars team that, that has really seen them turn the corner? Was it, is it Tom Coughlin coming in and, and really making his imprint? Um, the, just the culture? I mean, moves like making Fournette inactive and you still go out and win, uh, not being bigger than the team. It seems like something is, is being built in Jacksonville that's pretty special right now. Well, they have, they have better players. Um, and, you know, just to go back to Gus real quick, you know, they had a plan here that they're earmarking 2017 offseason to save that cap space to extend some of their own draft picks, but also they feel, okay, you're close to being really, really competitive. Add some veterans to push you to the push you um, you know over the top you know unfortunately for Gus it did he you know he wasn't here to coach that team this year because they didn't win enough games in year four but you know the plan is continue but here's the Tom Coughlin imprint it's drafting Leonard Fournette a tailback fourth overall that means Tom is looking for immediate results and also it was also in free agency signing Barry Church and Calais Campbell older free agents usually this team is signing guys on their second contracts you know fourth fifth year players so you know, that, that gave everybody the, the clue that, you know, they want to see really a lot of improvement this year. And, you know, then they'll worry about the future in 2019. So, so far, so good at five and three. They haven't been five and three in 10 years. Uh, let's see if they can keep it up. Ryan, with Blake Bortles, I have to imagine, you know, teams trying to stop the run. How has he adjusted to really being a, a run-heavy team with, with eight men in the box and you see some blitzes. How is, how has Bortles responded to kind of his role in this offense? Well, I think he's, I think he's, you know, he's played serviceable. I mean, the, the bar is, the bar was set so low for Blake after last year where he regressed, where he regressed and it's like, okay, can they get Fournette going? Can they be a run heavy team? And can the quarterback make some plays on third down and quite frankly, just stay out of the way, not turn it over. He's done a little bit more than that. Uh, he's played, you know, the passing game, really had to hit the reset button in week one. Allen Robinson, their top receiver, tore his ACL in the third play of the game. He was going to get 150 targets. Let's face yeah. it. He was their best guy. It took some time for the passing game to adjust. It took some time for Blake to adjust. Okay, Marquise Lee, Allen Hearns, Keelan Cole, going to the tight ends a little bit more. So in the last three games, they've passed for just as many yards as they did in the first five. So I think for Blake's perspective, it's okay – help the team win the game, but sure as heck don't lose it for them with pick sixes and cost of turnovers. Ryan, we'll get you out of here on this. Knowing this Jaguars team like you do, knowing the Chargers and Gus Bradley's defense, what do you think is going to decide Sunday's game? I think it's going to be turnovers, and that's like the easiest, cliche answer, answer but um, 
you know, the Jaguars are plus eight, uh, excuse me, plus seven in turnover ratio. They create turnovers. They score on defense. They get short fields. Can they finally solve the mystery that's Philip Rivers and help this Jaguar offense back? I mean, Leonard Fournette's going to have a month between games because he's missed two and had the bye, so I think he'll be ready to go. And so I think it'll be, okay, can the Jaguars force Philip Rivers into mistakes because you're probably not going to sack him a lot because he's so smart, but can you force some turnovers to create some short fields for your offense? This is a big game Sunday. It could have wild card implications. He's Ryan O'Halloran. You can follow him on Twitter at Ryan O'Halloran. Ryan, great stuff. I really appreciate you joining me, man. All right, I appreciate it. Take care now. If you're a fan of the Chargers, shop our huge selection of Los Angeles Chargers gear and merchandise at the official pro shop of the Los Angeles Chargers. Buy officially licensed Chargers apparel to cheer on the team, including Chargers jerseys, t-shirts, tailgating gear, salute to service gear, and much more. Browse our collection of the most popular items and school accessories such as backpacks, fidget spinners, and Chargers back-to-school supplies. Find any kind of Los Angeles Chargers gear or clothing you may ever need today at shop.chargers.com. All right, the host of NFL Fantasy Live, my guy, James Coe, joins me on Chargers Weekly. And James, we got four teams on a bye, man. A ton of injuries and a lot of unsettled fantasy rosters this week, man. Help me out. <laughs> well, what position do you want help with? I mean, that's the thing. It, it's, um, it's kind of an interesting situation this week because, you know, we get a lot of our studs back. But, uh, but you're right, a lot of teams on a bye. I kind of feel like there's not a lot of great quarterback plays uh, this week. And so I kind of feel as if you get, if you get a strong quarterback performance this week, you'll, I think you'll be in good shape to win your matchup. Yeah. Let's go position by position here, because obviously if you're a Carson Wentz owner, you're an Alex Smith owner, you're a Jameis Winston owner, you're in trouble this week. You need some streaming options. So who are a few guys that could possibly be worth adding this week? Well, um, you know, I, I, Matt Stafford, if he's available, although I think he's you know pretty much gone everywhere, but obviously Detroit taking on Cleveland, that's a pretty prime matchup. Um, I, gosh, it's like I said, I look up and down, and it's just kind of like, man, do I do I want to trust Andy Dalton? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think Philip Rivers is playable against Jacksonville. It's just, man, it's it's hard out there. There's not a whole hell of a lot of streaming options. That's the crazy thing. I mean. I don't want to touch anyone in the in San Francisco. I, I it's just, I, man, it's a mess. James, like what, I said, I look around and I'm not sure what I want to get done. What about like I'm being dead serious here, Josh McCown or Ryan Fitzpatrick? Like I almost feel like you got to dig that deep this weekend if if you're out of luck with quarterbacks. Yeah, you know, it's funny because it's a, it's a little bit of a double revenge game, but. I don't mind Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, the Jets secondary, I think they've been playing, you know, obviously better than anyone had anticipated. That being said, Tampa Bay still got uh, quite a few weapons. I'm actually really excited to see what Chris Godwin can do. Their, their uh, draft pick they picked up out of Penn State. But, um, you know, overall, they've got two good tight ends, obviously, in Cameron Brayton and O.J. Howard. Deshaun Jackson can stretch the field. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets fed four or five, tar- uh, four or five six targets that if he can bust one big. It's just, to me, I think it's, um, you know, Fitzpatrick, if you're rolling them out there, you have to be prepared to take, you know, six or seven points. But also, certainly, if he gets hot, he is one of the streakiest quarterbacks out there. Um, and I don't hate it. Now, on the flip side, McCown has been underrated, man. Um, for whatever reason, you know, look, and I get it, he plays for the Jets, and we all came in 
um, into the year thinking the Jets were just going to be just just a mess. They have absolutely outperformed expectations, no doubt about it. I mean, there were a lot of pundits thinking the Jets might not win a game, uh, and certainly they have proven everyone wrong. So they have played way better than a lot of people have expected. That being said, um, you know, it really starts with quarterback. I, I've been surprised by how well McCown's been playing. I know. And he doesn't have any more key guys on the outside. I mean, Jermaine Curse, Robbie Anderson, I mean, these guys are – they're fine football players, but I don't think anybody's confusing them with true, you know, number one elite wide receiver status. So he's just kind of been making it work. And and it's funny because I think what they've been doing is really feeding their trio of running backs. I don't think that the, the running backs necessarily help it that many folks in fantasy. I know Matt Forte had a big game, but it's hard to predict who's going to go off week to week. But the trio of Matt Forte, Elijah McGuire, Bilal Powell, these guys have been doing decent work down there and um, catching balls out of the backfield, you know, being able to create yards on their own on the ground. So I think that's kind of how the Jets' offense has been staying afloat and McCown's been the beneficiary. James, I think these four minutes talking to you, I just talked myself into Josh McCown as a, as a streaming <laughs> option here in Week 10, man. It's, it's, we're off to a, a rousing start. But let's go, to, let's go to running back, Kareem Hunt. Jay Ajayi, those owners are scrambling this week. Who's out there on the waiver wire that could maybe make some noise this week? Obviously, you're just kind of hoping for a cheap touchdown from somebody. I wouldn't be surprised if Orleans Darkwall continues to have good performances. And obviously, this week's matchup is prime. Um, You know, that being said, I just, he has been a surprising find. And I wrote about it this week on NFL.com, but he's really done a really great job of being able to create yards on his own Um, per next gen stats. He's averaging actually 5.1 yards after a defender closes in. So after a defender gets within one yard of him, he's on per carry averaging 5.1 yards. That is incredible (laughs) considering that he's played Denver and Seattle and considering that the giants offense is an abject dumpster fire. Um, so individually he's playing extremely well yeah it's one of those things too you look at the Giants and you're like do I want to start anybody on that roster but Orleans Darkwell I'm telling you in a in a week like this when you do have guys like Ajayi and Collins and Hunt on a bye I I think he could make a lot of sense and then we'll get to tight end in a minute but I mean Evan Ingram I, I look you look at the rankings this guy's like a top three tight end this week I mean, the bottom line is he's just seeing so much volume. Uh, I, it, and you just can't shy away from that. I mean, he's seeing extraordinary volume. And he's a good receiving tight end, not a great blocking guy. But that's okay. Um, for fantasy purposes, that really doesn't matter. So right now, this guy, I mean, we're talking about a tight end that's seeing, you know, double-digit targets, you know, any given week. You can't, you just can't turn your nose to that. So, He's a volume play um, for me, regardless of the matchup. I mean, and, and obviously they've got a terrific matchup this week, so who cares? You want to roll him out there. But, um, but yeah, he, he's, been, he's been a fine for fantasy, especially in a year where tight end has been really, really tough. James, wide receiver is probably the most intriguing position for me at this point in the season. Um, just for this conversation, Week 10, Tyreek Hill's out. Alshon Jeffrey's out. Michael Crabtree, uh, he's on a bye. Mike Evans is, is suspended. But then – we talk right. about injuries to Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson and the values of guys like Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Devontae Adams, Will Fuller, 
Hopkins, they're all crushed. How do you manage this? I don't know what to do with guys like Jordy <laughs> Nelson. Yeah. Um, honestly, I don't because he's a great player. Um, and I think we saw a little bit, you know, I, I think we saw his talent, um, you know, obviously throughout his career. But even with Brett Huntley, I, I feel like he's, you know, doing the same things that Jordy Nelson always does. Um, I, but what do you do? I, I mean, the bottom line is he's not getting great quarterback play. Um, I think Brett Hundley, first of all, he, he got, I think Brett Hundley's been unfairly skewered. Um, I mean, th- we're talking about a guy who's what? This is the third start of the season there for him. I, I don't know. I, I wasn't. I didn't come away from that game thinking that Brett Hundley can't play in this league. Um, so I, I think he's been unfairly skewered. That being said, the stats didn't really add up. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but what do you do with Jordy Nelson? What do you got? What do you do with the, a guy like Devonte Adams? For me personally, and I have, I'm invested in Green Bay's offense um, heavily. Heavily, I'm invested in, in Green Bay's offense, and I am just I'm running these guys out there. And whatever they give me, they're going to give me. Because quite honestly, even if I wanted to move them, what am I going to really get? People are giving me low ball off. I mean, I got a Tariq Cohen for a Jordy Nelson trade offer, like, and that was a legitimate <laughs> offer. <laughs> that's when you know it, I, things are not good. That's what I'm saying. You know what I mean? And and then the guy, you know, and it's if you look at if you look at actually the fantasy points that are being accumulated. I mean, it's not a terrible trade. That's what's that's what's kind of sucks about it is that it's really not a terrible trade offer. And I know that um, the the guy who's getting Jordy Nelson back would love to see some upside. But that being said, if week by week production, uh, uh, Tariq Cohen and Jordy Nelson might be the same. They like, could that's be what's crazy. But you know, it's your point that's though, James. Crazy. To your point about Brett Hundley, uh, uh, Daniel Jeremiah was talking about this earlier in the week. How his performance wasn't as bad as people said it was. And this is a guy who I think will get better with each start. So I think guys like Jordy Nelson, you have to just roll them out there and hope for the best. Um, the guys I'm concerned about are the guys in Houston. Like Will Fuller was on that ridiculous clip of just every everything he did right. was just you catch a touchdown and it's a wrap. <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, it, yeah. that was insane. But with Tom Savage under center, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is a guy – similar to, to Nelson that you're probably going to roll out there regardless. But what about a guy like Will Fuller, who you were pretty confident in putting in as your wide receiver three, your flex with, with Watson under center. Is he, can you even play him now? No, I don't think you can. Yeah. Um, and you know, the touchdown upside is just not there. I mean, that's what you were banking on. He was a low volume, high touchdown um, play and, and that's fine. Uh, you know, Will Fuller, he's got the great speed on the outside and, but the crazy thing was, for whatever reason, and maybe this speed plays into this as well, but Deshaun Watson looked for him in the red zone. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I don't think necessarily that you know Tom Savage is looking that way. Um, as we've seen with in both in week one and in week nine, uh, where New Hopkins saw you know 